uh, to be able to pray for others. And uh, after church, and we're going to make it a practice uh, every, every service after church that if you need prayer for anything, um, we're going to have a team up here to be able to agree and pray with you. There's power in agreement. And so if there's anything that you want prayer for, uh, financial needs, relationship, challenges that are going on at home, uh, we believe in the power of prayer and that God through, he says that where two or more are gathered and agree on anything that it will be given. And so we want to open up that window uh, for, for prayer at the end of service. So um, how many would want prayer and someone to agree with them for a challenge in your life today? Okay, can come up and have uh, receive prayer. Um, we are, we, how many of you felt that that was a really good series that we just finished Offended not. How many of you took that to heart? We've been using that a lot in our small groups and in worship and, um, and all over the place. I, I lost tennis all my games this past Saturday, every single one. And uh, the whole thing that was going through my mind is I'm offended not. I'm offended not. And I think God's just like working to, to humble me. I, I played with Jaden. And Jaden's like, I always play good with him, and I lost. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to switch it up. Play with Jackson, lost. Oh, sh- okay, I'm going to play with my dad, play with my dad, lost. This is like my partner, right? we're playing doubles. And then my, the, the last hope, the last hope of the day was Kathy Kanimitsu, because she was four-year state champ high school, and I'm like, this, this is going to be my win. And then we lost. I'm like, how can I be so bad that I lose with Kathy? Anyway, offended not, because it was all my fault. I offended with myself. Um, anyway, um, we are jumping into a new series, and this is a very unique... I'm, I'm intimidated by this series, because I've never taught on this before. Um, how many of you have read the book of the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs? Raise your hand if you've read through that book. How many of you understand that book? How many enjoy reading that book? How many of you have, have heard? I, I've been in church since I was born, since I was in my mom's stomach. And I can't remember any message that was preached on the Song of Solomon. How many of you remember messages preached in church on the book of the Song of Solomon? Raise your hand. One, two, three. Three, how many of you have been going to church for more than 15 years? Isn't that interesting that this is a very, like, obscure, weird book? And, and for a really long time, when I was in college, God put this book on my heart to study it and to understand it. And so I read through the book of Song of Solomon, and I reread it, and I tried to take it apart verse by verse. I looked through all the, the Matthews commentary. Hudson Taylor did a series on, and I thought, Hudson Taylor, you know, missionary to China, he would be, if anyone would have insight on this book, it would be him. I read through Mike Bickle. He's a guy from the International House of Prayer. Read through all his stuff, and none of it really made sense. And how many of you have ever got a word from God or somebody speaks a word of prophecy to you, and it just makes no sense. How many of you have ever experienced that, where it makes no sense? And what I was taught was when you read something or you hear a word of prophecy and it doesn't make sense, don't discount it, but take it and put it on the shelf, because one day it will make sense. And so that's what I did with this book. 
Over 20 years ago, 20 years ago? Yeah, over 20 years ago, because I'm old. Over 20 years ago, and I put this book on the shelf, and, and I said, God, I know this book is important, but you will reveal this book in your time. There's a couple of things that make this book very um, interesting to me. Um, if you have Christ, when Christ came to earth, and you have a timeline, if you backdate scripture to Adam, how many years back is this? Anybody know? 4,000 years, right. So this is 4,000 years AD, or uh, BC. And this would be classified as humanity. Then, what happened at 2,000 years before Christ? Who was born that kind of changed everything in scripture? Noah, Noah's a little bit before, Noah's like around here. 2000 BC, anyone? David, David was kind of over here. Moses was here. No, 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 pastor can't answer. Abraham, you heard Pastor Lance. <laughs> so Adam was born here, and then Abraham was born here. And so humanity, and then here, what? Oh, use a black pen. Oh, you're racist. No. <laughs> Don't like green. Okay. Um, nationality. Okay, so for those of you that can't read, this is humanity, and then this is nationality. So God created the human race with Adam. Adam messed up, so he made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was the father of many nations, the Jews. So humanity, nationality, and then Jesus came, and he spiritually adopted everybody into his into his family. And how many years has it been since the cross? 2,000 years. 2,000 years AD. So what I was taught was humanity, nationality, family, and then 2,000 uh, years, 2,000 years, 6,000 years, and then 7,000 years is a millennial or a thousand years of rest. How many of you have heard of that term, the millennial or the thousand years of rest? So then you have a thousand years of rest here. And Jesus returns and comes back for, what does he come back for? His bride, right? So his bride. So you can see this progression of intimacy with the Lord. It goes from humanity to nationality, to family, to his bride. And because of that, when I studied the book of Song of Solomon, I had this in mind that there is a special meaning, a prophetic meaning, that between Christ and the church that's symbolized in this book. And I would read it trying to figure out what is God saying and why is this book so important. 
And so what we're going to do for the next couple weeks is jump into that. One of the reasons why it's so important, and this is, this is one of the main reasons why I feel we should jump into this book right now. Janice uh, shared a scripture, and it, it's funny how this works out a lot of times, but a lot of times God speaks to the worship leader the same thing that he speaks to the, the person sharing the word. And she shared the scripture from Matthew 24 that in the last days, because Matthew 24 is all about the last days, it says, because lawlessness, everyone say lawlessness, or iniquity, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Okay, so what iniquity is, is lawlessness. It's, iniquity is, in Isaiah, iniquity is defined, we all like sheep have gone astray, we have turned each one to his own way, and God has laid on Jesus the iniquity, everyone say iniquity, iniquity of us all. What happens when we do what we want to do, and we don't acknowledge that there is a God who is our Lord, and he is the one who calls the shots that we will stand before and give an account to one day. When we don't acknowledge that, and we live our lives our own way, love grows cold. And you can see that happening in our society, in our culture. There's an attack on the family because everybody wants to do everything their own way. And so instead of shouting against the darkness, because we all know that the darkness is getting darker, what we want to do in the next four weeks is to highlight the light. Highlight what love truly is between the church and Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I know. This is a hard... You guys got to pray for me. This is a hard, hard topic to, to discuss because it's very ethereal, but it is very practical as well. So... I want to jump into this. If you'd stretch your hands out to me before we jump into this, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Say, dear God, help him. And help me to hear what you have to say to me today. Thank you that you're drawing me to yourself and that you're stirring my heart to love you more. Speak through your word in Jesus' wonderful name. Everyone said, amen, amen. It was just this past, uh, past couple months ago that we went to Israel, and REA said something that just totally blew my mind. He's this Messianic Jew that takes us all around. And he said, the book of the Song of Solomon is never interpreted correctly if you don't have two men in the book. There's not just the king. There's a king and a shepherd, and they're not the same person. And the whole book is about the king and the shepherd both trying to win the heart of the woman. And if you read it through that lens, then the book makes sense. It's been 20 years since I read Song of Solomon over and over, not making any sense. And when I started reading it through that lens, that there's a king and there's a shepherd, the king represents the king of this world, Babylon, and everything that the world has to offer. And the shepherd represents Jesus. And the woman is looking at both the king who can offer her everything and the shepherd that offers her his love. And you read it through that lens, it makes complete sense. And it's a powerful, powerful book. And I'm taking the book off the shelf after all these years, and I want to communicate 
what uh, this book has been talking to me about in my relationship with the Lord. The first scripture, Song of Solomon 8, verse 7, can we read all this together? And what I'm going to do in this message is just give an introduction to this book, kind of go through the background of who Solomon was, who um, Abishag is. How many of you know who Abishag is? Not too many. Um, we're going to talk about her story and then the proposed narrative of this book. And then for the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through the book itself uh, because it demonstrates what true love is. Um, let's read the scripture at the count of three. One, two, three. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And this is in the very last chapter of the Song of Solomon. And this is, this is the Shulamite woman, and she's saying, even if someone offered all the wealth of his house for my love, he would be utterly despised. You cannot buy love. Love can only be given freely of someone's choice. So we're going to do a couple of things here. We're going to look through the bride of Christ in scripture. We're going to look through Solomon's story. We're going to look through Abishag's story and the proposed narrative. Tell your neighbor, don't go to sleep. This is important. Okay, the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The whole foundation of relationship and love was founded with this one scripture that says, therefore, a man shall leave. Everyone say leave his father and mother and cleave. Everyone say cleave to his wife, and they will be one. Everyone say, weave. Okay, so I always taught my kids this, not my kids, but when I was doing youth, youth uh, ministry, that there's a process in love. One is that you have to leave your parents, and all the parents said, amen. You have to leave your parents. This is the process. After you leave your parents, then you will find and cleave. Everyone say, cleave to your wife, and then you have sex and you weave, right? The problem is we do everything backwards in our society. We want to weave first, and then if we like the weaving, then we'll cleave, and if the cleaving is, you know, we, we live together and everything's okay, then we leave our parents. And then we wonder, how, why is this so hard? It's because we do everything opposite of the way that scripture says. And, and the Bible says that we men... All the guys that are still in the house, Ivan, Jackson, Jaden, Daxon, all you guys, God wants you to learn how to take care of yourself first by leaving the house, <laughs> leaving the house, taking care of yourself, knowing your own direction before you get involved with somebody else's life. And all the people say, hey. <laughs> oh. Good, preach it. <laughs> but Paul says that this process is a mystery because the marriage between a man and a woman is a reflection of Christ and the church. It's not just about man and woman. It's about Christ and the church. And this is just a symbolism so we can understand the spiritual 
parallel. God gave us a physical representation so we can understand a spiritual parallel. And so first in the natural, then in the supernatural. So when we see a love between a man and a woman, it touches our hearts because there's something eternal in our hearts that resonates with it because we know that we have a Savior that one day we will be united with. That's why marriage is so beautiful. And that's why the enemy hates the marriage between a man and a woman. It's because it signifies Christ in the church. What happens in society, it says that when they knew God, they didn't glorify God, but became vain in their imaginations and didn't glorify him as God. And so God gave them over to their own desires. What happens in a society, we as Americans, we knew God, but we didn't glorify him as God. And when I was in elementary school, that's when our nation kicked God out of the classroom didn't allow prayer in school, didn't allow the Pledge of Allegiance, started pushing him out of uh, Congress and the laws and government. And when we did that, we received the blessing of God from 200 years of walking in his ways. And after 200 years, when we were the richest nation on earth, we said, God, you know what? We don't need you anymore. We divorced ourselves as a nation. We divorced ourselves from our beloved. And when the nation made those decisions to divorce itself from God, it started beginning to manifest itself in the physical. So homosexuality and everything that we see is not because those people are bad. I believe that God gives up a nation to its own desires to show in the physical what has already happened in the spiritual. Does that make sense? God is showing us that as a nation, we have already divorced ourselves from him. We were already practicing spiritual homosexuality decades before natural homosexuality became the norm or is becoming the norm. So what's the solution? The solution is love. The solution is sacrifice to give up our own desires for his. He gave up everything for us. That's what love is. It says, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. We will become more and more, as a culture, not as a church, God forbid as a church, but as a culture, we will become more and more selfish. We will become more and more, we want to do it our way. We want to have relationships the way that we want. We want to, I want to be a, if I'm born a man, but I feel like a woman, I want to be a woman. I want to do everything my own way. And if we teach that to our kids, What we're teaching them is not that we are under the lordship of Christ and that we love Christ and we're following him out of love the way that he loved us, but we're doing things our own way. And what will happen is the picture of family, the picture of marriage, the picture of family will begin to disintegrate in our society. And the physical is always a representation of the supernatural. So... I don't want to spend time yelling at the darkness. What I want to talk about is, what does love look like? What does the purest form of love, the way that God intended, what does that look like? Verse uh, number two, let's read this together. Husbands, love your, and all the wives said, (laughs) husbands, love your wives. Not the way that you, love, you think of love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? 
gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The whole reason why I want to live my life in sacrifice to my wife, and I don't always do a good job of it, but the reason why I want to live my life to serve my wife is because I know the love of Christ that sacrificed for me. And because I understand the love of Christ that sacrificed himself for me, I want to give myself to sacrifice for her. And God is constantly re revealing where I fall short in my life. And he's constantly telling me what he's forgiven me of. And it keeps me appreciative to him, but then it also gives me a lot of patience because how many of you husbands, no, you, don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, when you come home after a long, hard day at work, you feel like your wife should serve you? Don't raise your hand because, you know, that would be bad. Or you feel like you're owed more than you get. You know, Pastor Zach talked about expectations a couple weeks ago. Our desires turn to expectations. And... One of the things that happens is we feel we're always giving and we're, we don't feel the reciprocation. And I remember one, there was one day in particular, the first year that we were married, I don't even remember what I was fighting with Joss about, but we got in this heated argument. And, and I remember at the tip of my mouth, there was that scripture, wives submit to your husband. I thought, she's a Christian. I can use this verse to get whatever I want. And I remember I was ready to say that verse, and then God said, what about the other part? It says, wives submit to your husbands, but then husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then God put it on, he put his finger on my heart and said, the reason why she doesn't want to submit to you is because you don't love her the way that Christ loved the church. And I remember God asking me, why is it that you are willing to give your life to follow me? Because, you know, I had plans, and I didn't always want to be a pastor. <laughs> and, and God said, why are you willing to do that? And I said, because of what you did for me. And he said, if you love your wife the same way that I love you, then she will want to serve you. And if she doesn't want to serve you, it's not her fault. It's yours. And I'm like, how long do I got to love her for? <laughs> how long? And then I, I had to start studying about sowing and reaping, that when you plant a seed, you don't get fruit the next day. When you plant a seed, it takes like, avocados take forever. The better the fruit, the longer it takes. And we just need to be faithful and consistent in sowing love, sowing forgiveness, sowing grace, sowing all these things into the life of our, our relationships. Amen? Are you guys up? Okay. Good stuff. Love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. It's not doing what we want, when we want, how we want. Love is sacrifice. Um, so the bride of Christ, 
biblical timeline, we went through that. Humanity was 4,000 years, nationality, family, bride. God is drawing humanity closer and closer into an intimate relationship with himself. He's constantly revealing more and more of himself to us. I'm very, you know, I, I love my kids. They're my family. But I remember, growing, like, when we first had our kids, I would tell Joss, I don't want you sitting in the back seat. I want you in the front seat. The kids can take care of themselves. I don't want the kids sleeping in our bed. They stay in their own bed. And then whenever she would be, like, you know, all over the kids, I'd be, I'm more important. <laughs> we can always have more kids. <laughs> We're the reason why they exist. So don't neglect us for, for, for them. Anyway. I love my family, but my bride comes first. Amen? <laughs> and God is taking us deeper and deeper. We're children of God through what he did on the cross, but he doesn't want us to be satisfied with just being a child of him. He wants to take us into understanding what it is to be his bride. Amen? So the story of Solomon. And I have four, four minutes to finish uh, the, next two, the next two points. But Solomon, I thought that Solomon, the writer of this, was the representation of Jesus. And that, every, you know, but then I started thinking about who Solomon was. This scripture, in Deuteronomy 17, it gave instruction by Moses to Israel of how kings were to conduct themselves. And it says, let's read this together, only, and this is uh, talking about the king, let's read it together, one, two, three, only, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So it's those three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. My college pastor said it's the glory, the gold, and the girls. Those are the three things that are always going to screw us up in life. If you're a girl, then it's the guys. Glory, gold, and guys. Or I don't know. Nowadays, it's like it goes either way. <laughs> um... Those three things. What did Solomon do as a king? Let's, let's read. First uh, Kings 11, verse 3. He had, what? He had how many? 700 wives. That is nuts. It's hard enough to take care of one wife. Seven, I love you. 700 wives and, didn't stop there, who were princesses and 300 concubines and his wife, his wives turned away his heart. Later on in scripture, it talks about Solomon who God gifted him to build. He created one of the seven wonders of the world, the Solomon's temple in all of its glory. And 
he took that gift and he built temples for every one of the gods of his wives. And it said that he turned not just his own heart, but the heart of all of Israel away from the Lord. By exercising his gift instead of serving it, the Lord, he exercised that gift to serve other gods, the gods of his wife. Um, not only did he get a lot of wives, a thousand wives, that's crazy. You know, I think about like, never mind. Um, I was just thinking a thousand, like just with his wives, he could have had a thousand member church. It's crazy. <laughs> just with his family, not even his kids. Um, number, number three, and the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and Solomon imported uh, import of horses from Egypt, the exact place where God said, don't get, you can get horses anywhere else, just don't get them from Egypt, and he got them from Egypt. And the king's traders received them uh, at a price. So wives, strike one. Horses, strike two. The last one, uh, this is from Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. And whenever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure all was vanity and striving at the wind, and there was nothing gained under the sun. Wait, where's the gold? Silver. Uh, shoot, I don't know where. Um, silver and gold. Okay, so uh, no, that's not there. Anyway, he, he made a lot of gold too, the riches in, in the world. Um, and at the end, it did not satisfy him. Okay, so he gave himself to accumulating gold, accumulating girls, accumulating glory, the chariots. And it says that he was empty. How many of you have ever felt that? That when you have a goal in life, whether it's your degree or your job or a certain number of dollars in the bank, and you get to that level that it doesn't fulfill. It's because there's only one thing that will fulfill, and that's the love of God. Understanding and experiencing the love of God. Abishag's story. Who is Abishag? Everyone say Abishag. <laughs> That's a cool name, Abishag. So they sought for, and this is David, his, Solomon's dad. When he was old, he was uh, getting near death, and so they wanted to get a beautiful girl to warm his body, not to have sex or anything, just to give him comfort and warm his body. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to King David. How many of you think that if your job was to go through all of Israel and find the most beautiful woman to warm the body of King David, that Abishag was probably pretty hot? Right? She was this beautiful woman. Um, warming the body of King David. Then King David died. Solomon took the throne. But in scripture, or in Hebrew culture, it was unlawful for you to have the concubine or the wife of your father. So if you can imagine Solomon, he has a thousand wives, or 700 wives, 300 concubines, but there's this beautiful woman who was a concubine of your father that you could not have. Imagine his angst. 
Because he can have anything that he wants, but he cannot have her. And this is recorded in 1 Kings 2, verse 22 and 23. King Solomon, so there's this, this fight between Adonijah, his brother, because Adonijah wanted to be king, and Solomon ended up being king. And Adonijah plotted to get married to one of David's harem. So out of all the women he picked, he picked uh, Abishal. And it says, King Solomon, and so uh, Adonijah comes up to Bathsheba, which is Solomon's mom, and says, hey, can you put in a good word for me and just ask Solomon, because I know he loves you, ask him if I can get married to Abishal. And then Bathsheba said, that's a great idea. I think you and Abishal would make a great couple. And so Bathsheba goes into the, the court of Solomon, her son, who is the king, and, said, and, and this is where the story continues. It says, King Solomon answered, oh, so, so she said, hey, King, and King Solomon welcomes Bathsheba into the palace, and he's in a great mood. He has her sit right next to him, and he says, how was your day? Oh, my day was fine. I'm so glad. How are you doing, mother? You know, it's, it's a, a nice conversation. And, and, and then he says, what, what brings you here? And she says, I was just thinking, I think it would be a good idea for for um, Adonijah, your brother, to get married to Abishal. And this was Solomon's response. He goes from zero to 100 in anger in a split second. And he says, King Solomon answered his mother, and why do you ask Abishal, the Shulamite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also? For he is my older brother, and his, on his side is Abathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do to, to me, and more so, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. And it said that he went out and Adonijah died that day because of that request. How many think that Solomon might have had a thing for Abishal? this girl that he could not have. Maybe, probably, wiped him out when he asked. So this is the proposed narrative of the Song of Solomon. Before we even get into the book, you have to understand who wrote it, which is Solomon, what his background was, who Abishal, the, Sh the Shunammite, everyone say Shunammite, Shunammite. Okay, so he writes Song of Solomon, and Song of Solomon is a story of two men who are competing for the heart of a beautiful Shulamite. Not Shunamite, Shulamite. Because he didn't want to give it away that he was in love with the Shunamite. If you search in scripture, there's no such thing as a Shulamite. It's only mentioned in the Song of Solomon. He made up this word, Shulamite. He just spelt it wrong. Although Solomon has all the money, power, worldly wisdom to offer this woman, her heart is set on a shepherd. She allows the shepherd's love to transform her from a timid, immature girl to a powerful and confident woman, a bride. This is the story of Christ and his bride, the church. 
we didn't even get into it, but next week we're going to start jumping into each chapter. And it's amazing to see the progression of this woman go from this timid, shy, insecure woman to at the end, let me just give you a preview and then we're going to close this morning because we're a little bit over time. If you read the beginning, um, never mind, let's save it for next week. It's really good. Um, God wants to transform your life. And the way that he's going to transform your life and the way he transforms my life is by understanding his love. And that's what this book, The Song of Solomon, is all about. How many of you want to know the love of Christ and make that love known to first your family, your kids, and then our community? God's called every single one of us to do that. Um, why don't we all stand? And I'm going to close in a word of prayer. It is hot. We need to fix this AC. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Um, God, we come before you today, and Lord, it's your desire to draw your church closer to yourself. God, it's been a pattern throughout history that you are wooing your creation closer and closer to your heart, that it was your intent from the dawn of time to prepare a bride for your son. And God, we are at the tail end of history where you are preparing a people to love your son in the same way that your son loved us. You're, you're opening a door for us to understand the love that you have for us and how you see us so that we can become everything that you have called us to be. Lord, we come to you and come to your word asking, Lord, that you would reveal your son to us, that you would reveal your heart to us. And Lord, that you would transform each person. God, my prayer is that you would transform myself, our congregation, by a revelation of your love, Lord, that you would transform us from people who do things because we ought to into people who follow you and love you because we are passionately in love with you and for what you have done for us. Lord, this world needs a representation of love where everyone is seeking out their own thing where everyone is fulfilling their own desires, where everyone is concerned about their own rights and equality and doing things so that we can have and we can be and we can consume. God, you are calling your church to a higher level to live in a way that we sacrifice and give up our rights because you gave up your rights for us. And Lord, we open up ourselves so that you would change and transform our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to.